We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Alex Duvall. If you're watching on YouTube and the wall behind me looks a little different, I'm in the process of moving and it has been quite the week. So we are operating on the fly here. I'm on a couch surrounded by boxes with a makeshift setup for my microphone. So we will be back at it in a normal setup next week. As always, for four years running now, joined by Joel Penfield. Joel, your Mariners gotten a doozy of a brawl with the Angels earlier this week. Um, we have a couple of guys who, uh, Jesse Winker and J.P. Crawford, who are official members right up there with Jordano Ventura, Tommy Pham, Lorenzo Kane, Amir Garrett of first team about that action. So, um, how was that? How was watching that game today? Yeah, like I said, having two guys that were like were willing to go at it like that were were pretty hilarious. The best part of the whole story is the person on Twitter that sent uh, Jesse Winker a pizza in the clubhouse after the game. That was probably the best part of this whole thing. And joining us uh, from Prospects Live, Joe Doyle is a Mariners fan as well. So uh, how did how were you? How did you see this whole thing? I mean, I, uh, I from the local perspective, I was just really blown away by. Like, this is not me coming at it from a fan's perspective. I just thought the way that the Angels and Phil Nevin handled today was among the most pettiest things that I've seen in a major league game in quite some time. So I am I am anxious to see what sort of fines and suspensions come down for the Angels. I mean, there were some guys on the Mariners that threw punches. That can't be happening. They're going to be suspended. But 
it just the whole thing felt very orchestrated from a Los Angeles perspective. And uh, we'll see if the league sees it that way. For anybody who is maybe new to the podcast, we've had we've had quite the new following. Joe does a ton of work for Prospects Live, prospectslive.com. If you, if you don't follow him on Twitter, if you're not familiar with the website, they are maybe the best independent website in terms of covering minor league baseball from a national perspective, from an amateur perspective, covering the MLB draft. And that is what we've got Joe on for tonight is to help us break down the impending coming up 2022 MLB draft. So really quick, before we get to that, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor, Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go. And the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page, you know, we can write a program based off of what a kid needs, not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense. It's what does this kid need? On the pitching end, we can say, hey, this kid needs such and such. He needs to do this or that better. A lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound. It actually needs to be fixed in the weight room. Big thanks to KCSE again for picking up the podcast this year. All right, Joe. So I've got prospects live. They're your top 500 MLB draft prospects pulled up here. And I'm going to read six through. Well, we'll see. We'll get to like 11 or 12 here. So we're going to rattle off six, seven names. And then I want to ask you about how realistic some of these options are at number nine. So according to prospects live, you guys have Tamar Johnson at number six. Gavin Cross at number seven, Kevin Parada at eight, Jace Young at nine, Brock Porter at 10, Zach Nito 11, Chase DeLauder at 12, Jacob Berry at 13, and Blade, let's go to 15, Blade Tidwell at 14, and Dylan Lesko at 15. I want to start with my favorite prospect on that list, which you have at number six, and Termar Johnson. I'm assuming the answer is no. But let's jump into it anyway, because I think he and Parada are the only guys who I don't think will be on the board at number nine, like for sure. So let's talk about Tamar Johnson. Is there any way that this dude can get to Kansas City at number nine? I would be pretty surprised if he made it past pick number eight uh, from everything that I've heard. Uh, the thing about Tamar, and this is what I keep coming back to, there always seems to be a prep every year that that falls that tumbles a little bit further than you expect i mean uh, brady house is probably the best example last year uh the model teams might like tamar but the old school scouting teams the conventional scouting and evaluation type teams will maybe view him as a five foot seven second baseman who's physically maxed out at this point Uh, you know that kind of puts all the hit tool and the power and the athleticism to the side, you know, I think there are teams that might be willing to disqualify him from their board just because of kind of the, uh, you know, the size. So I think there's enough teams one through eight that are analytically driven and, and see what he's capable of at this age. And I I just think there's, there's too many teams that are a good fit uh, for him to make it all the way to pick number nine. For anybody who hasn't been following at Royals Farm Report, I've had Tamar Johnson at number three on my board all spring. 
behind Brooks Lee and Jace Young. So from, from our perspective, from Joel and I's perspective as Royals fans, getting Termar Johnson would be like the win of the century in terms of, of the draft for the Royals. Don't think there's a chance, but you guys have him at six. I've seen some situations where maybe a Cam Collier, a Jackson Holiday, a Kevin Parada, maybe a Daniel Susak end up jumping Termar Johnson. So I do think there's a 1% chance. I would give it like a non-zero, but I'm not, I'm not banking on it. So let's focus on some of the guys who are more likely Gavin Cross, an outfielder from Virginia Tech, Jace Young, a second-slash-third baseman from Texas Tech, Brock Porter, a prep right-handed pitcher, and then Jacob Berry, an outfielder-slash-DH first baseman from LSU. Those are the four guys that, if we want to talk about best available, we want to talk about the Royals taking the best available prospect at that pick at number nine, those are the four guys that I kind of keep coming back to. Joe, I know the rankings say that you have them in order. Cross, oh, uh, Young, then Porter, then Barry. There's even Chase DeLauder at number 12 right in front of Jacob Barry, though it feels like he's probably not in the mix at number nine at the moment. How would you personally rank those four or five guys? And do you think there's like a clear advantage to any one of them over the others? If I were, if, if I had that pick and you gave me the choice of Cross, Young, Porter, DeLauder, and Barry, my pick would be, would be uh, Brock Porter. I think he's the horse of this draft. I think he's the best right-hander available. I think he's the best prep pitcher available. And I think he checks every box. I mean, he's six foot four, 195 pounds, long limbs. He's already throwing really hard. Uh, the trajectory points in the right direction with the slider and the curveball taking steps forward. It's already um, a double plus changeup. Uh, I just think everything, you know, some of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball came from the high school ranks. They were high high school picks. And I think if you're in search of an ace, uh, a high school pitcher is kind of the route that you should go. And actually, Interestingly, you know, if if the high school pitcher isn't your flavor, which I totally understand it's not for some, um, my next pick would probably be Zach Neto out of out of Campbell, the shortstop. He would probably be my pick over Cross and uh, Cross and Young and DeLauder and Barry. So, um, yeah, I, I like I like Neto a little bit more uh, as a bat over those four, but it, for me, it would be a toss up over Porter and Neto. So looking at the draft, there it's obviously, and for those listening that are beginning to follow the MLB draft through us, it's completely different than, than the NFL draft. You're not drafting for need. You're not drafting for – you can draft for best available, but you're not drafting for somebody to come in your lineup right away. There are games that you can play with the slot value and slot money. Um, if you did, haven't listened to our episode last week, please do. Alex and I talked about the concept of under-slotting. Do you think there is a path for the Royals to, to do that in this draft? Do you think there are, are guys that will be worth it to – to make that play to get someone later that you can maybe go a little over on. Yeah. You know, I, I think this draft actually sets up very interestingly for under slots and it's, you know, so many arms in this class have been hurt for so long. Uh, you know, Kamar rocker is an interesting under slot at, you know, in the top 10, I think Connor prelip, you could probably shave a little bit off there. Um, I think Reggie Crawford out of Connecticut is a huge question mark. Nobody really knows what he's going to do. And then um, I think the really sexy name right now, especially after today, I don't know when this is going to air, but 
I think Oklahoma righty Cade Horton is a guy that, uh, you know, you could probably save some money on if you wanted to take him in the top 10 picks. Um, so, yeah, I think the the uh, the volatility in the college pitching class and the, you know, assumption that you're going to have to continue rehabbing some of these guys that you draft, uh, Blade Tidwell even, I think there's opportunities to underslot there. But with the 75% rule, obviously you're not going to see a Mazzucato ever again. Um, and I don't think any team is, is you know, clever enough to go out and take someone outside of the top 300 that wouldn't require the top, the, the 75% guarantee. So with that respect, yeah, like I, I think if you're looking for exorbitant value, you take a guy like Prelip, you take a guy like Horton, and, you know, there's so much unknown and untapped potential here that in a normal year where, where they were healthy, maybe they're a top five pick. Um, but this year's unique and you might be able to save some money on them at number nine. Well, what would be your play? What would be your, I take this guy to under slot here to then in the second round over and take a swing on somebody. What, what would be your play? I mean, if I were the Royals watching what they've done over the last few years, I think Cade Horton would be my pick at, at number nine and, and, you know, give him 85% of the slot. And then depending on how things shake out, I, you know, it's impossible to know who would be available, but if the Royals could land a guy like Jackson Ferris uh, with their second pick um, shortly thereafter, I think that would be a hell of a haul. Um, Jackson Ferris is a is a big, tall, six foot five inch lefty, up to ninety seven. Um, moves really well, great athlete. I think you know I look at what they did with Ben Kudner last year, and it's kind of the same kind of the same roadmap. So that would probably be, you know, uh, if I was in charge, that would be the most optimal play. Really quick, I want to ask you about the combine and, and break down that 75% rule you were just talking about. I'm a big Brandon Barriera fan. I made a comment in our group chat recently that if Brandon Barriera gets to Vanderbilt, he will David Price his way through the minor leagues and become maybe not a big league ace. You don't want to say that about any prep pitcher, but love Barriera. If you could have just one of Barriera or Ferris, do you lean to Barriera or do you think that Ferris later on is actually better value in some ways? No, it's definitely Barriera for me. Barriera has starter traits, uh, more uh, cleaner operation. He's more athletic on the mound, uh, shorter arm action. Uh, you know, he's also a lefty. He's definitely going to start. He really reminds me a lot. I've, I've brought this up a few times. He really reminds me of Marcus Stroman. You know, it's just kind of that undersized bulldog on the mound. He's got feel for three pitches, including a really dynamic slider. My only question with Barriera is, and this will get into like the player development side of things once he's with a, you know, an organization. Um, right now, I'm I'm a little concerned that he doesn't have a bat missing fastball. It's you know it's it's 93 to 95 up to 99 in side sessions, but um, it's kind of in that dead zone. It doesn't ride up at the top of the zone. It doesn't sink really hard at the bottom of the zone. So um, it'll be interesting to see when he gets into a player development system whether they think he's a better pronator or supinator, and then uh, they can decide if they want to, you know, stick with the four seam or go heavy on the, on the boring sinker. But that would be my only concern with him. Um, I think he's going to be, you know, a definitive uh, number three, maybe a poor number two uh, big league starter. And uh, yeah, I think he's going to be a great value forever. Whoever lands him. Talking about the fastball traits. He sounds like a Kansas city Royal already. Um yeah. So let's let's talk about the combine really quick. So if you were if you if you were wondering what Joe meant about the seventy five percent rule, I will explain it as best I can. And I'm going to let Joe explain a little more about how it'll 
like work and practice. Major League Baseball. So it, think about the Royals last year. They signed Frank Mazzucato for like two-thirds of his slot value. So really quick, basically what Major League Baseball does is they assign each draft pick a slot value. So the number seven overall pick was worth like $6 million-ish last year, something like that, and then a little over five. And then when they when you have all, all of your picks in the top 10 rounds have a slot value, they add all that up and they say, okay, that's the amount of money that you can spend in the draft. So what the Royals did is they draft Mazzucato give him 66% of the slot value, and the other 44% they used to give over-slot deals to Kaderna and to Carter Jensen. Now, a lot of you guys at the time were, oh, the Royals are cheap. They're, they're drafting guys to save money. No, no, no. They're not saving money in the grand scheme of things. They're going to spend $13 million in this year's draft cycle. That's about what their bonus pool is. It's about $13 million. They're going to spend all of it. It's just a matter of who they give it to. Are you going to give Bobby Witt Jr. $7.5 million and then divide up six to everybody else? Or are you going to give Frank Mazzucato $3.5 million and divide up 10 amongst everybody else? So what Major League Baseball did this year is they changed the rule so that if you accept Major League Baseball's top 300 prospect status in the draft and submit a pre-draft medical, meaning, hey, MLB teams, I want to enter the draft. Here's my medical examination. You are guaranteed 75% of your slot value. Now, that would help a guy like Kamar Rocker. Kamar Rocker, who did not actually submit pre-draft medicals, but for example, you submit your pre-draft medicals, and then when the Mets draft you, they can't say, oh, well, here's like 40% because we don't really want to sign you anymore, you're guaranteed 75%. But what it might do, too, is hurt a guy like Mazzucato, who may not have been drafted at number seven if he had accepted the deal, because now the Royals got to give him more money. Maybe the Royals go draft Jackson Merrill instead and give him the $3.5 million. Frank Mazzucato goes later, only gets two mil, right? So there's there's all kinds of things that play into this. Joe, in practice, like in all in practicality of how this will work, do you think this will have like an actual significant effect on the draft? Or do you think the combine and this new rule are more just for negotiations in good faith and probably won't actually affect things as much as people think? Yeah, I think I think the 75% rule was I, I tweeted about this a while back, and the amount of times that a player has received less than 75% of the bonus pool over the last few years is actually really, really small. Uh, I think the most interesting, like the most extreme is the Marlins giving Tanner Smith, they're an outfielder, about 50% of the bonus pool in the second round because they paid Cleo Watson so much money in the first round. But what this rule really does is um, it's there to protect, in my opinion, it's never really been laid out. It's there to protect not only the, the Kamar Rockers, even though, this is not the Kamar Rocker rule, like you pointed out. Like he didn't submit his physical, so he wouldn't have qualified for this in the first place. But it's to protect guys like Kamar Rocker or or just any player uh, for that matter uh, from being used as a as a leverage piece uh, to to either get another pick next year, like the Mets have done this year, getting the what was it the eleventh pick was awarded to them mm-hmm. because Rocker failed to sign, 
Um, there haven't been any examples. I mean, you can go back and look at Carter Stewart. The Braves took him like, I think sixth overall, uh, must've been like 2016, I think. And he ended up failing a physical. They offered him way less money and he ended up going to Japan. So, um, it's, it's just there to protect players. It very, very, very rarely, um, comes into play. So what I think it is, is, um, the guys that are going to benefit most from this are probably the college fourth year juniors or college seniors, the guys that have had a really big year and um, deserve to be given top 300 status. Uh, and, and that way they're not used as pawns in the sixth through 10th round and given minuscule amounts of money. But even that, like I, I wrote about this on Twitter a while back, there's only been like four or five examples of college performers, seniors actually, you know, being kind of used as leverage pieces. So I don't expect uh, you know, the casual fan for sure to see any notice of this moving forward. But one thing I do want to bring up, and I, I wrote about this at Prospects Live probably two months ago, and I think it's the, the real interesting wrinkle here is, does this hurt? Does this actually end up hurting college seniors? Because, for example, a guy like Tanner Smith, Mississippi State outfielder, drafted in the second or third round by the Marlins last year. Yeah, he got 50% of the value, which ended up being about $700,000. But because he was not guaranteed 75%, he might have actually been able to negotiate more than he would have gotten in the in the first place. So maybe maybe most teams thought, hey, this guy should probably be a, an eighth round pick. He's probably a $230,000, $240,000 guy. You know, he'll probably go in the seventh, eighth, ninth round. Well, because he wasn't a top 300 guy, because this rule didn't exist, the Marlins actually used him to save a bunch of a bunch of money to get Cleo Watson. And he ended up making like, you know, $550,000 by taking a huge cut off the top. So I, for, to answer your question, I, I was being a little long winded. I don't think the casual fan is going to notice whatsoever, but being as this is a Kansas city podcast, you won't see anything as unique as a Frank Mazzucato. I want to bring up Noah Schultz real, real, really quick in this example. And Noah Schultz is a guy I've been raving about who I've had ranked higher than everybody except Prospects Live has him at 25, and I've even had him higher than that. I just – I love the frame. I love the pitchability for a 6'10 left – or 6'8, however tall he is, left-handed pitcher who – does he look like Randy Johnson? No. Will he remind some of Randy Johnson a little bit? Maybe. But you have a 6'8 funky lefty with a big fastball, and I – I think about him, I think about Frank Mazzucato last year. There seems to me like there's no benefit in somebody like him signing the deal because you can either – you can sign the deal, get drafted at 25, and you're going to get full slot there anyway. Or you cannot accept Major League Baseball's offer, and then you you at least give yourself a chance for the Royals to come in you know, at midnight and say, hey, we, we'd like to give you – 60% of slot value, Noah. You're not going to get it anywhere close to $3 million later in the draft. We'll give you $3 million right now. And like guys like this could actually lose money on that deal. So I agree. I think it protects college juniors at the top of the draft. I think it protects really big-name prep guys. But I agree with the idea that you know there's there's probably not a ton that will actually come of it in, in, in practice. So I know Joel's got another question here coming up. 
Yeah. So how do you think the draft has changed in the last five to 10 years with so much more access to information with all the, the track man data that's readily available at the, the high school and college level, giving guys the opportunity probably they wouldn't have had, you know, to other like general, like based on just like general scouting terms and scouting written scouting reports, you can see like stuff over results getting drafted rather than just, Oh, this guy has a two and a half ERA. He's got to be good. Right. So how, how do you think that's changed the process for teams and the way that they go about their business? Yeah, I think from a mostly from a public like media and content um, state, things have never been. There's more data out there that, you know, teams like Prospects Live and, you know, Baseball America and some of our, you know, other other publications out there. We have so much more access to some of these data tables um, through different sources that, it, it makes the sleepers, it makes the guys that kind of, you know, hide under the, under the woodwork, they don't exist as much anymore. Uh, you don't see guys kind of sneaking up on you in the first or second round um, like you had in the past. And I think, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, but honestly, like philosophically and, and the way that the draft is handled and I think it's a lot of the same, you know, I think teams still operate the same way. I think they obviously lean a lot harder on analytics as it pertains to these players and evaluating players and what they're capable of doing. Um, but the biggest change is just the draft is finally getting its due publicly. And for someone like me who covers the draft on a daily basis and a yearly basis, it's really cool. It's really cool to see people take up interest in amateur baseball, because um, I think in a lot of ways, amateur baseball is, is, it's just a better product than the than the pro game. And as data continues to ingratiate itself into the public space and how we measure these uh, student athletes against one another, uh, it's just going to get better and better. So I do have concerns about the NIL deals and the transfer portal. I think that's a huge issue that, um, you know, maybe needs, uh, you know, a microscope. Someone needs to look at how that entire thing is operating. But the draft itself has never been healthier. Are there, let, let, let's do this. Give me three names, Joe, of guys in this year's draft that you think are being wildly slept on, underrated, could maybe they're, you know, 20 to 30 on everybody else's board that you think could sneak into the top 10, or maybe they're outside the top 50 on most boards and you think could be available for the Royals at like 35. Like a guy that I'm thinking of is Ivan Melendez. I think Ivan Melendez is being criminally underrated. So, there's there's one of mine. I want I want to hear three of your guys who you think are being underrated in this year's draft. Yeah, the first guy that comes to mind uh, is Dalton Rushing, the catcher at Louisville. I think he was hidden behind Henry Davis for so long uh, that I, I don't really think that he got his due. Louisville wasn't a great program this season, and so they weren't you know uh, you know they weren't in Omaha, they weren't in the playoffs. They uh, they were, but they they really didn't get their due. And so I think Dalton Rushing is honestly. I don't think he's that far behind Daniel Susak in terms of um, college catchers that available that are available. I think he's a guy that could sneak into that 20 to 30 range and, and really surprise a lot of people. Um, another guy that I think could go in the first round that isn't very high on many people's boards is Tanner Schobel, the shortstop at Virginia Tech. He does everything well. Um, he's got a big leg kick. The swing can get a little bit long, but he probably sticks at shortstop. Uh, he's really twitchy, really electric, steals bags. He can hit. He can hit for power. He can uh, He really run. Um, I think he's got the versatility and the glove to to play anywhere on the field. 
Um, I know I'm from Seattle, but he really reminds me of a, a more polished Dylan Moore. Um, so I, I think Tanner Schobel is a great value that more people need to be talking about. And then, um, honestly, the last one, that's kind of tough. I would say, just looking at my list here, uh, you know, one that I really like is Luis Ramirez. He's a right-handed pitcher out of Long Beach State. I think he's really interesting in that uh, he can really spin the baseball. He was up to 98 this year. He is, for my money, one of the best sinkers in the class with a really high release point. Um, reminds me a little bit of Blake Trinan. I don't know if Luis Ramirez is going to end up starting, but he dealt with some shoulder issues. Uh, he's 100% healthy now. He was able to uh, participate fully at the Combine. Um, so I think Luis Ramirez, if, if someone were to grab that guy in the beginning part of the second round or, you know, somewhere in that 50 to 60 range, uh, I think he's going to be ultra productive, uh, at the big league level in some sort of role. I love Luis Ramirez. That's a good call. Yeah. He's a good, he's a good player. He's kind of hidden as a mid major, but if he would have stayed healthy this year, I have no doubt that he'd been a first round pick. What do you think is the deepest part of this draft class? Um, Position-wise, prep, college, what are you thinking here? I know it's kind of broad, but I'm curious your thoughts here. Yeah, I think this year especially, uh, there is so much talent on the high school pitching front, and there's just not enough money to go around. So obviously college baseball is going to be getting some really, really good arms in the coming, uh, in the next 12 months. Um, I think, you know, you look at guys like we've brought up, like like Jackson Ferris and Brandon Barriera and – you know, even today we had Andrew Dukanich pull his name out and and he's saying he's going to Vandy. Andrew Healy pulled his name out. He's going to Duke. I mean, at one point we had Andrew Healy in the top 125 and we had high, uh, Andrew Dukanich as high as the top 15. So I think a lot of these players, a lot of these high school arms are kind of seeing the, the writing on the walls that there's not a lot of these guys that are going to be able to get the four million or five million that they look for. So, you know, earlier you asked the question, is this a good year to underslot? And I would say if you're a team that really covets high school pitching, um, this is a year you definitely should be underslotting to try and grab some of those names later in the draft. I'll throw you one more name uh, just because I love the kid. I think he's going to be a really good pro. I think he's going to be a starter. Kid by the name of Cade Obermuller. Uh, he's a lefty, six foot one, up to 94, buttery, buttery operation. I mean, it is as smooth and easy as it as it comes. Uh, mid-80s fastball with the ability to turn over a changeup. He's only six feet tall, but that's the sort of guy that, you know, um, I think if you were to go under slot and, and grab a guy like that in the second or third round, you've really got great clay. And there's so many of those names this year. Um, so that would probably be where I think the deepest part of the draft is. That's going to scare a lot of Royals fans, the idea of a bunch of prep arms being available for slot games. So, We'll uh we'll address that in a week or two. All right, Joe. Last question: If you had to make an official prediction for the Royals' pick at number nine, what is your official prediction as of June twenty sixth? So my official prediction is that I think they go Billy Butler two point if he's there. I think Jacob Barry is the guy. I think. Metrically, he checks a lot of boxes at the plate. He does everything well with the exception of defense. Um, so, I mean, he's he's the safest bet that you can find at the plate this year. And I do think that Kansas City is starting to crack open a competitive window here with some of the guys that they've got coming and some of the guys that have already arrived. So if he's there and it's, you know, he's got to get by Minnesota. 
But if Jacob Berry is there at nine, that's that would be my guess. Love that. Love Absolutely it. love that. Joel and I saw him hit a mammoth home run against um oh, was it Vanderbilt there? It was Vanderbilt. Yep. Vanderbilt last year in the College World Series. So love Jacob Berry. Uh really quick before we get Joe out of here, I wanted to plug the prospects live live mock draft that will be happening this Wednesday, June 29th, around 6.30 p.m. Central Time. I will be making the Royals pick at number nine for the third year in a row, I believe. Definitely did it last year. Yeah, this is my third year doing it. So, so you didn't take Mazzucato last year. I got Henry, Henry Davis. Yeah, you got Henry Davis. The ball, Alex. There you go. Okay, so, so you're you're saved by ending up with the number one pick. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been out drafting the Royals recently. So there you go. But yeah, that'll be live. I will tweet out the link at Royals Farm Report. It'll obviously be on Prospects Live Twitter account. That is a live video production. And I want you guys, if you watch the podcast here with Royals Farm Report KCSN, and you can see the three faces and the logos. Prospects Live does a live show just like this. You guys use StreamYard too, right? We do, yeah. So it is a live production. You'll be able to see me and Joe. And do you have a second co-host on the? Oh man, we're gonna be we're gonna have so many names in the industry yeah. bouncing in and out of it. Uh, a lot of guys from Prospects Live, but you're gonna see a lot of familiar faces. So I'll put it that way. So it's obviously not the draft, right? But it's a mock draft done up like a draft show production. It is a ton of fun to participate in. Unfortunately, the Royals will only have one pick in this year's mock instead of two, but I'll be making that pick at number nine. I will tweet out the link. Make sure you're ready for that Wednesday night because it is a blast. Joe, thank you very much for being with us tonight. Thank you very much for including us again in the Prospects Live mock. We are really excited for that, and it's been a great time talking with you tonight. Always like joining your guys' show. You guys put out an amazing product, uh, some amazing writing. Keep it up. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the mock, man. I'm excited to see who you grab, Alex. Absolutely. Thanks again, man. Looking for the best selection of Royals tickets? Be sure to check out our my friends at Tickets for Less. At ticketsforless.com, you will find the best selection of Royals tickets at the best prices, and you'll never pay outrageous per-ticket service fees like you do on other sites out there. Plus, use our exclusive partner code to save even more on your tickets. Simply use promo code KCSN22 at ticketsforless.com to save on any Royals ticket order. That code again is KCSN22. Memories for Life start at ticketsforless.com. All right, now welcoming in Jeff Ellis. This is Jeff's, I think, Jeff, have you been joining us all four years we've been doing this? Is this your fourth year? That feels right to me. I think so. I mean, it definitely goes back to when I was with 24 seven still had baseball. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, they decided to just uh, cut all of baseball altogether. But yeah, no, I think it has been all four years. It's, it's funny. You know, I do um, my own podcast, but I definitely get more Google alerts from the podcast we did last year. I don't know what you guys do. You're really good at like the optimization, but I feel like every other month I get a nice little Google alert with my name in it with, uh, with me and Joe Doyle, uh, both right there at the top. So I just, Credit to you guys. You know what you're doing. Certainly better than I do when it comes to getting all that set up. That's awesome. I am. I was really glad. I was on Twitter texting you and Joe the other night trying to set this up. And I we had it set up for Monday. And Joel, I texted him. I was like, oh, my God. We are going to the Royals game tomorrow night. Me, you, and then Josh, our other co-host. Like, we can't we can't record. We got to we got to change it. So, but anyway, I was really excited because you're right. Last year it was you and Joe Doyle again. 
and then you guys are back at it this year. And then you joined us. It was just you uh, two years ago. So this is your fourth year actually on the, on the podcast. You, you had two years where you came on. It was just the, just the three of us for a little bit. So mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, Jeff has been writing about the MLB draft for a long time. And if you guys have been listening to the show uh, for more than a year, you know, we'll have all kinds of draft analysts on from all kinds of different backgrounds. So Joe obviously writes for prospects live. Jeff has covered the draft for different publications and independently for a long time. We'll have Mason McCray on later this year, who is a data nerd, very analytically minded. His dad is a college coach. But I think when we combine the three of these guys specifically, you're talking about three very different takes and very different backgrounds as it relates to the draft. And it's my favorite time of year because we can really break down the views of everybody, get an idea of what the draft looks like, excuse me, how the board may fall, et cetera, et cetera. So, Jeff, really glad to have you on again this year, the host of the Locked On Guardians podcast now. I almost did it. The Locked On Guardians podcast. So, uh, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, thanks. It's always fun. Like I said, it's four years in a row here. Um, now that, uh, like I said, uh, 24-7 can baseball, I'll just be honest about it. So, now I just kind of do it for fun on the side, do it in the podcast, uh, I'm so addicted to the darn thing. Uh, like earlier this week, I've got uh, two kids under five and they're napping. I did like a live stream on my personal YouTube and did 40 picks just based on things I was hearing. I just, it's it's more of a, a love than actually part of what I get paid to do now. So, but it's always fun to get a chance to just hop in, talk draft. I mean, I spent a good part of the morning just like texting with people about like, uh, you know, when, um, I, I would say his name, but I would butcher it. Andrew D from Indiana. I'm uh, I'm known for my butchering and pronunciation on the Lockdown Guardians podcast. But it's like uh, then I got a whole list of other people who are going to opt out. Uh, my favorite being when I tweeted out that I said two guys are probably going to be the next two to call their name as uh, being pulled out. Then uh, one of their dads liked that tweet, so I'm not sure if I can take that as confirmation or not. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, Noah Schultz, uh, I don't think is uh, is going to be a draft prospect. Let's put it that way. Ooh. Oh no! Oh, I love, love Noah Schultz. Schultz. I mean, I tweeted out that uh, from what I've heard, Noah Schultz is the next guy who's going to, you know, bonus demands will take him out of this draft. And then uh, Larry Schultz, who is also his dad's name. Now he doesn't follow Larry Schultz, but his sister does. And based on the other people follow, her, I'm pretty sure that's his dad. And his dad like the tweet. So again, that's not confirmation by any way, shape, or form. But I just think that's a little bit interesting, uh, well, especially Vanderbilt- when. Vanderbilt's rotation is going to be yeah. gnarly in two years with Andrew Dukanich or how he pronounces yeah. it. I think Dukanich, I think is how. Yes, Dukanich sounds right. Yes. God almighty, that's going to but, be. But uh, I mean, I had heard that the bonus demands were north of $4 million uh, about a month ago with him. So, you know, for what it, that's, you know, I was basically more on just good source, giving me good data on contracts and then tweeting that out and seeing um, again. It's not confirmation. I, I, I didn't even tweet this out so you guys are getting that piece of breaking news. We'll see if it's true or not. But uh, you know, I thought that was interesting. That's like that's my my how I go through this anymore. It's just checking sources and then um, you know talking about things and seeing how it's going to turn out. It's just it's a it's. I hesitate to say it's a good class. I don't think it really is. Um, I think it's kind of interesting. Top seven to eight guys, depending on your view, which is not what Royals fans want to hear. And then it kind of feels like from like 11 to 70 they're all you know shake them up in a bag pull one out you're not gonna really argue too much between that next group and 
you know, it's just, it's so diametrically different than last year's class where last year's class, you know, everyone talks about the angels going all pitching. The guardians had 21 picks and they took was it 20, maybe it was 19 pitchers. And no, like, they were all pitchers. No, they took, uh, they took Jake Fox, the infielder. So they did take at least that. And I can't remember if Connor Cox was last year oh, or two fun. years ago, but they might've been two bats. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they were just as much and, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see like what teams do. Cause this, I mean, let's, let's be honest, this college pitching class is, it's awful. Like it is the worst grouping I have seen in this. I wrote for Indians prospect insider before I got the job at scout. Uh, but I started, you know, diving in then. And uh, if you could go find like on the internet archive, like that stuff would be things I'd now be embarrassed about. Like it was not great coverage, but I mean, I was still following and beginning to kind of do my, my path back in like 2011, 2012. I mean, I got the, the Lindor pick, right. So that must've been 2011. So it was even before that. But um, yeah, it's like, all those years, I've never seen anything like what we see right now with this college group. But like, I I would make a case none should go in the top ten. Honestly, um, that's that's my view. And I, you know, depending on who someone takes, it's like I wouldn't even feel all that comfortable taking one until the late teens. So, looking at the best available at nine, it's like Jace Young, Gavin Cross, Jacob Barry. If he falls, you know, there, there's talk of Tamar Johnson maybe falling a little bit. Maybe Cam Collier, cross your fingers, gets to nine. What are your thoughts on some of the the top bats that are at the, you know, around that range that could be available at nine? Yeah, it's, I, I have a sinking feeling that, uh, you know, if you want an off the wall top overall pick, I think it's Cam Collier right now, just because the, the age models, the bloodline, like people talk about bloodlines. So they do matter. It's like, there's a reason why the blue Jays took so many of them. Like there's value in that. And then you look at the age models and you look at performance in the Cape and it all kind of comes together. Like if he is going to be, cause it, it, you know, last year I had Henry Davis as the top player on my board. And I said that you have to consider money because money matters in these, you know, the ability to get a Henry Davis allowed them to get two, three more first rounders. So if they still decide to go with that money model, like Cam Collier, I think would be great if he's still on the board. I, I He's kind of my off-the-wall top overall guy. Uh, not like top overall on my board, but could go there. You know, just kind of looking at like consensus boards, I always try to like look at an overall like consensus just to see where it shapes up because it is such a weird draft class. I mean, personally to me, um, like I said, Jet Williams is the guy I'm higher on than the field. I don't think he is that far off that initial group. Like if he is there, uh, I totally get that. I feel like Gavin Cross and Jace Jung are kind of, you know, the bats that would be in that range that make the most sense where they're maybe not the highest ceiling guys, but there's a very good chance both of them work out as kind of like two and a half, three win guys. Maybe occasionally they pop four to five, but you're getting, you know, someone who can just be a reliable type. Uh you know, overall, I'm trying to think like the ones that really, you know, if you're going under the, one of the rumors is somewhere in that top 10, you're going to see Zach Nito pop. It's kind of that under the board guy who I don't know if that's necessarily the Royals. And then I mean, the thing with the Royals, it's like, as much as, you know, people, some might be like, what about, you know, Dylan Lesko? What about a Connor prelip? The thing I will always point out, it's like, there is a six, three rule. It feels like with, with Dayton Moore, it feels like if you are not over six three, he's not going to really consider you. And I mean, maybe I missed it last year. I can't remember if Masakito was uh, was under that or if there was anyone. But that, that's one of the things I stand out. I, I mean, we know they have gone so pitcher heavy. It's like who is the guy there? Is it Brock Porter? I think I've maybe vaguely heard him connected. Is like, yeah. like that he is their type. 
But a lot of those guys like Brandon Berea, I don't think he's over six, three off the top of my head. I'd have to pull it up. It's like, who is that big hulking pitcher? I mean, I think I joked, mostly joked, but it's like, I, I go, well, if they want a high level performer and we know they have liked, um, Oregon state in the past, it's like, would they be the team that goes massively under slot and takes Jurpe at nine? Like I know he's a cross body thrower and there's like none of those as starters, but you know, uh, singer didn't have, uh, there are a lot of people who just said he can't start and they kind of look past the mechanics and some of the views. So it's like, he, I don't know if he's best fit, but he's a guy that like, I, I still wonder about at that spot with them, with their own drafting history. Do you think that it's fair to say that this year of, and really like last year that like, I think last year when the Royals took Mazzucato over Kamar Rocker, over Brady House, over Cleo Watson, there was a, you know, some Royals fans are just, oh, the Royals are cheap. They're they're underslotting because they're cheap, and they just don't understand, right? Yeah. But a lot of informed, good Royals fans were like, oh, man, okay, underslot is one thing, but you just drafted Mazzucato instead of these other good players who are on the board. I look at the draft board this year, and unlike last year where there were guys who I would have rather had, I look at the draft this year and go, you know what? I don't really know if I would blame them for underslotting this year because I'm with you 11 through, I would, I don't know about 70, but 11 through 40, 11 through 40, I look at it and it's a bunch of 40s and 45s. I could, I could go one way or the other. I don't know that I would blame them. I mean, do you think that this year specifically might, the best choice might really be to underslot at number nine? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't think it's a, you know, it's one of those things, especially too. like, let's say you can come back and get somebody interesting, like Reggie Crawford in the second round. It's like, you know, if Reggie Crawford had pitched this year, who knows where he would be? Like, he's one of those guys that is, again, I, I think he's only six two. I don't know if he's necessarily the Royals type, but if you're a team, it's like, that's an arm that had what, 10 innings as a power hitting first baseman. Like it's more interesting to go do that. Cause this whole draft class, it's, I mean, you look at who's slotting in there. Say, I'm not a big Daniel uh, Susak fan. Like, I think, look at what Arizona hitters have done. That's kind of a, a park that helps inflate numbers. He's there, there's. I'm always a little shaky with draft eligible sophomores too. That's just a, a personal bias. I need to really sit down and go through the data. Like I, I talked about this. Like I'm my next big project is to go through and track out all of the draft eligible sophomores because it feels like a lot of them don't pan out. Like I see a lot of them, it's like part of their advantage is being older. Like they've always been the bigger kid. I think that plays out with age uh, based models, but I think this is the year. Yeah. I think it makes more sense. And the thing I always talk about on my podcast is the idea that for fans who don't get it and think someone's being cheap, essentially going under slot is trading down It is the same equivalent of the MLB draft for the NFL draft. If you don't know about the draft, you're saving money so you can get a higher value player later. It's just trading down. It is trading down without moving. It's what the Pirates did, right? The Pirates, I mean, I, again, put Henry Davis first on my board. I thought he was a fantastic talent. But by saving that money, they got Bubba Chandler, who everyone and their mother had in the top 30. Uh, they got Lonnie White, who was in the top 50 everywhere and was also a football recruit, as was Chandler. Um, and they got Anthony Solomedo, who some people had in their top 20. So they got four guys who, depending on your service, had first-round grades in the top three rounds. And yeah, some of those were you know multiple high picks, but they traded down and got a little bit less. And if you think the top isn't clean, and honestly, like I said, it depends on how you view this group. You have kind of the three elite high school kids and then 
right? So, and then you have kind of like Cam Call. I'm making a claw here. I don't know if you showed the video, but I look. But you got like Cam Collier if you want to debate him in that group, and then you've got, you know, the two big college guys, and then you have to if Jackson Berry goes in there or what. But it's like, is anyone in that group? I'm always risk averse with high school kids, so I get that. But all the high school kids are going to be gone, and after those high school, like I love Brooks Lee. He's going to be top. You know, he was number one on my board to start the year back in the fall. He's still going to be top three. I think he's as safe as they come. But I mean, I love Nick Senzel. I had him number two on my board and look what's happened. It's never a sure thing. And like the loud tools for Lee and Senzel were not necessarily like MVP, if you know what I mean. It was like you're betting on some of those side tools. So if things, and this has always been kind of something I've screamed about. It's like if the tools are kind of like very borderline, there's nowhere for them to go. So it's like if the hit tool grades out just below where you think it is, and hit tool, we are all terrible at evaluating. I think, you know, as we've gotten better stats, we see how it goes. But I can literally sit there as a Guardians fan who covered the Guardians specifically for a long time and tell you when the Guardians drafted Bradley Zimmer, multiple national scouting guys said he had the best hit tool in that class. And now you go back and you look at the data and you're striking out over 30% of the time at the University of San Francisco. We now know that that would never get said nowadays. We now know enough to know like the importance of K percentage. And Bradley Zimmer is not an old man, uh, but it, that's how far it's come. Tyler Naquin also was widely quoted amongst the two biggest services at the time as having the best hit tool in the draft. And, uh, you know, he's turned into a solid player, but like that's just the problem with it. There's certain things that we're, um, we are definitely learning about. And that I always get, I, I think that it always stands out. Like we're, we don't know. And uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of curious to see, but I think you're right. I think this is a year. Sorry, my cat apparently wants to join no, in on the okay. podcast. Are you uh, are you sold as on Drew Jones then as the no, consensus number one over one number one player in the draft? Because I'm not. I so my hesitation is like I I don't know. Like honestly, like if I made a big board, part of me would put Halliday one because I think he's going to be cheaper and in the positional value. I'm going to just move this cat. Normally he's not this bad. He likes to hop up on my <laughs> podcast as well. Something about podcasts or like catnip to him. Uh, but like, I think positional value matters and I think cost matters. And I think, again, I wouldn't have had Drew Jones necessarily number one last year. And I like him. I'm not saying that he's a bad talent. I'm not saying that he's not a, couldn't turn into his dad. He absolutely could be, but you also have to admit that his number one issue is contact. And that if there's anything that's going to torpedo a player, a hitter, it's contact. If there's anything that's going to torpedo a pitcher, you know, again, barring injury, it's control. Like we know this, I, a few years ago, um, one of the best things I ever bought in terms of just looking at raw data was John Sickles released like his, why do guys fail? And he went through like 30, cause I mean, Sickles and Callis are literally the people who got me in on this when I was like a high school and college kid. Like when I discovered it, they were the people that I still to this day. I'm like, those are like my grandfathers of, of writing. Like these are the guys who made me pay attention. So they have the most data. I mean, I think Sickles invented the term Lukey. If you go back and, and go through it, that was his term. And I mean, it was it, all that data, all the data of going through his prospect list and his draft list. It's like, why do hitters fail? It's contact. It's problems with contact. It's problems with secondary pitches. And if you're seeing that already in a high school kid, um, you know, I can give you a classic example from my recent Guardians history. Again, Clint Frazier, like we kind of look past it for all the other tools and he still hasn't figured that out. I mean, that's he is not a slam dunk. This is not like, you know, I. Not to say I'm always right, but it's like Adlai Rushman was a was a slam dunk to me. Uh, to me, I mean, I put Ke Casey Mize as a slam dunk. I he was he was wire to wire for me as well. Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong, but 
I don't think he is necessarily the slam. I think he's the slam dunk right now because the rest of this class, you know, Tamar Johnson, like amazing advanced approach. But I, I think there's questions about position and there's always going to be uh, height concerns for anyone under six. And then you go through Jackson holiday. Like he was not top 30 on anyone's board until what October and November. He's for a guy with his like name and prestige. He's a bit of a pop-up. I mean, not, full pop up but if you under i mean i'm sure people understand what i mean there that it's interesting with his and again i I, he might be top on my board don't think this is like a negative but yeah i think it's i just don't think it's that great of a draft class and i think that helps elevate people who might be more traditionally like somewhere between two to five on a board um i like like i said i like these players i I would be over the moon if any of them ended up at the guardians that's not going to happen but i don't think I don't think there's a star in this class. I don't think there is that like number one overall guy here. So you talk about that. And I think this is a good segue into this. Who were, give us three names that you think are kind of hidden gems in this class that you could find in later rounds that could actually pop up and be dudes. So one of my absolute favorites is on Georgia tech. And I know everyone goes there and looks at, you know, Parada and some of the other players, but Chandler Simpson he is a Northwoods guy. I talked about that. It might have been before we were, you know, you're going to use on the podcast. So I spent some time in the Northwoods because I live by it. Chandler Simpson's, if you go through and look at like the hardest players to strike out, uh, there's uh, Kasevich from Oregon, Pac 12. Pac 12's down. Like if you're looking for someone from ACC or SEC, it's him. He's it in the top 50. Um, might be Luke Hancock as well, but he has his own set of issues that are going to make him still nar- darn near undraftable. But it's Simpson. And not only that, the guy's uh, 27 for 31 on stolen bases. He's a plus athlete. He hit 433 this year playing shortstop. I don't know if he's necessarily going to stay there. He's probably going to move to center field. But he hit well in the in the uh, Northwoods. Not the top league, but you know he can handle a wood bat. There's some guys, you know, the Will Craigs of it all, where we learned that they just couldn't, you know, do that. So I think Chandler Simpson's really interesting from that regard of, yeah, I mean, he's pretty awful fielding percentages we all know fielding percentage doesn't matter but it's it's clear like move him to center field let the speed play up and see if he can continue to be a guy who just never strikes out uh it's not gonna be any power but he's kind of an old school one or it could be an interesting nine and just see what he can do defensively but plus athlete and uh, great contact rates and then i you know i was just looking through some of the data from the combine the other day and two of the guys that kind of jumped were uh cade hunter the catcher from Virginia Tech. Again, Virginia Tech has a lot better team than people, I think, expect. Um, is it the Schwebel, the shortstop oh, there? And then Gavin Cross is, of course, the big-name outfielder. Yeah. But Hunter like has good framing data, from what I remember hearing. He's uh, you know solid behind the plate. And then you know this year he had a he walked twelve percent of the time, struck out twenty two. You know those are improvements. For a guy who really hadn't played much, he had about, what, 70-odd at-bats before this. He showed some stuff with his bat, and then just that, let's see, what was his number? He was the fourth-best sweet spot percentage during that time at the the Combine, looking, you know, this is from the MLB site. I I don't have that kind of data myself, but I thought it was interesting to see his name pop there because I'd heard positive things more about him as a defensive catcher than an offensive catcher, and to see that and look at the numbers, you're like, huh, that's interesting. And then the other guy from the combine that that kind of stood out in terms of just his performance in terms of numbers was Owen uh, uh, Kirking, Kirkering from South Florida is more of like a day two type. 
uh, if you go and you look at like highest uh, spins on breaking balls, you know, there's prelip, then there's a uh, Jacob whose name I will butcher, Miss Aurorowski. Mizorowski, great Mizorowski. kid. Yep. And, you know, he also pops on the fastball ones. I think he had all the highest fat. Like he's one that's, you know, from Crowder, he's going to go somewhere on day two just based on his spin rate data. But uh, Kettering for those secondary, for the off speed, he was three, four, and five. So I thought that was interesting there. And, you know, if you if I'd done one more, it's kind of him and um, Jacob from uh, Crowder were the ones who I think is kind of day two guy. Just again, looking at that data from that combine, it, it was a mixed bag. But I thought, you know, going over that, there's some additional value there to, to some guys. And the catcher class is really interesting this year. So it's like Hunter is one of those guys who might slide because there's a little, just a ton of interesting names. It's got a, it's a weirdly good catcher class for a weirdly bad draft. I think Parada is probably clearly the best catching prospect mm-hmm. in the draft, but I think Hunter is a better prospect than Susak. Like I really like Hunter out of Virginia tech. Yeah. You were mentioning Jacob Mizorowski. Mizorowski a grain Valley high school graduate here in the Kansas city area. Another Kansas City area kid, Carson Milbrant, is from Liberty High School. So just a quick FYI, there's a a couple of Kansas City kids, pitchers here, that are going to be taken in the first three to five rounds as long as Vanderbilt doesn't buy them out of uh, their commitments. Not Mizorowski's not a Vanderbilt commit. I don't know where he – LSU, maybe. I can't remember. I can't remember where Mizorowski's committed, but uh, Milbrant is a Vanderbilt commit. So as long as – they don't get bought out of their commitments. I think they're going to be MLB draft prospects. Jeff, before we get you out of here, if you had to make a prediction today on Sunday, June 26th, what is your official prediction for the Royals at number nine? You know, it's, it's hard to get off of them with pitching. I don't, you know, it's, I, I like to track data. I like to track tendency. Uh, it's why I refuse to mock anyone but a college guy to the White Sox until last year. Until something gets changed, I kind of stick with it. So I'm going to, at the end of the day, I'm going to stick with like a big pitcher there. And, you know, I part of me thinks they could be the place to get that first college pitcher. Just because it's like, again, if they go under slot, maybe get someone who's a, a bigger arm at that spot, um, who fits kind of what they're going for. And I think there's... The nice thing about the readily available, like we get our limited track man data. It's not necessarily out there for everyone. Some of the bigger sites have better information, but it's like, I think there's a reason why teams like the guardians target college guys so heavily. It's like, it's, it's easier. You just know more. And I think, you know, Kansas city, we know is a little bit slower to, to take the stuff. So, you know, at the end of the day at nine, I think they'll just take Robert Moore second baseman from Arkansas there. That's I'm kidding. I think, I would guess Brock Porter right now, honestly, just based on what you hear. I think he's the one that that could end up in that place. And if it's not him, you know, I don't know what the part of me thinks like, would they go supremely under slot and take someone like Justin Campbell? Possibly because we know they're sizists. I'm fine with that. He's big and he performed well (laughs) and they like size. So like if I'm going two ways, you know, my joke all year has been Robert Moore. But the, the honest one is high school guy, Porter, college guy, Campbell. That would be that would be Joel. I, I almost said something inappropriate. That would be Joel's dream is for Justin Campbell to wind up in a Royals uniform. I don't know where I think they're going. I prescribed the idea that 
if somebody has mocked the player to the Royals and, and, and outside of like a Bobby Witt Jr., right? Because that was kind of a nail in yeah. the coffin before the draft ever began. If you've mocked them to the Royals, they're not taking them. So I've seen way too much Brock Porter. I've seen way too much Gavin Cross. So I've eliminated those two from my board. The guys I haven't seen much of are Jacob Berry, Jace Young. We haven't seen any Justin Crawfords, no Chase DeLotters. Uh, So those are the guys that are like highest on my list right now because they haven't been mocked to the Royals. And I don't think anybody actually knows what they're going to do. So that's kind of where I'm at. But I think Young is a nice thought. Like, I think if there's a hitter, now that you say that, I was like, Young is a good, that that makes sense. It wasn't until you said it, but I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because you are hearing his name as another one who's kind of moving up. But yeah, that's... He is so, like, the thing that I don't understand, and and I'm I'm sorry, we'll get you out of here in just a second. The thing that I can't understand about Young and Barry is like, what am I missing? Is it, are we really that concerned with their defense did we learn nothing by watching Spencer Torkelson or Andrew Vaughn just rake their way through the minor leagues? Like when you have a hitter and I'm not comparing them to Vaughn or Torkelson, but when you have a college hitter that are as productive and historically efficient as young and Barry, don't overthink it. Like I get it. If you don't want to take them on the top five or six, but between seven and 10, both those guys should be off the board in my opinion. Yeah, it's like, I, you know, you talk about that and I go, is it some kind of like Pavin Smith runoff? But then like, I think you're learning the wrong thing where the the more the lesson should be like Virginia teaches those guys, you know, a specific yeah. approach. Like, you know, it, we sometimes get so focused on like a big picture, like, oh, he doesn't have a defensive position. It's like, well, if he's hitting at LSU, we know that's uh, it's it'd be one thing if he's still out in Arizona. Like that would give me concern. It's that's why it gives me, but he's hitting in a, an environment and I'm not as, I don't know. I, I don't get as concerned with him. He's just, a, he's, a, and maybe I'm, I'm falling victim. He is like 10th on my board because again, I'm like, well, where are you going to play him? But yeah, if you just took him, like I won't blame anyone for popping him because it's, it is a safe approach. Like you're, it's going to be a surprise if he turns into like a yearly, it's going to be less of a surprise if he becomes a quad A or I'm messing this up. It's going to be a bigger surprise to me if he ends up just being a quad A type than if he ends up being like a five time all star. Like, that's the thing, like that with him. So, I, I totally get where you're coming from with that. Well, Jeff, we really appreciate you coming on. As soon as, if you, if you end up um, printing out a, <laughs> Uh, a board, a mock, or whatever. We'll be sure to run it because Jeff, like I said, does incredible work. Are you MLB Draft Jeff or Jeff MLB Draft on Twitter? I'm Jeff MLB Draft. I mean, I do have my written board. It's right here, handwritten. You probably can't <laughs> see with uh, some cross outs and move arounds. I, I physically wrote it out um, on hand. That's that's how old school some of my stuff is while still talking about, you know, the importance of contact rates and things like that. But yeah, I, I physically wrote it out. I haven't um i guess i could just like take pictures and upload it to uh my website that's it's kind of fallow right now but yeah no definitely uh if i it, at some point i'm gonna have to sit down and do it i it's all here and there and everywhere i'm a little bit uh i'm very disorganized let's, let's be honest not a little i'm very <laughs> well follow jeff at jeff mlb draft again some of the best mlb draft work on the twitter sphere I am really excited for everybody to get to listen to this with Joe and Jeff on. We'll continue our draft coverage on the podcast later on. Until then, Jeff, thank you very much. Cannot wait to do this again next year, man. No, I agree. It's always a fun thing to do. Thank you for having me on. And, uh, you know, again, kudos to you guys. You know how to put these things together. And I, I just, I always kind of get a giggle when it's like a Google alert. I'm like 90. 90- 
95% of the time. If it's about me, it's from this podcast. So thank you for that. Thank you for still having me, honestly. Absolutely, man. Love it. Look forward to it every year. Really glad it worked out tonight. All right, we're going to throw to a quick ad break. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back. All right, Joel, that was phenomenal stuff. Josh will be back with us next week. We can only get three guys on the video at a time. So Josh sat the week out so we could have some guests on, talk about the MLB draft. I'm fired up. I do not believe the Royals are drafting Brock Porter. There's too much smoke around it. The Royals would never let you know that they were that interested in a prep right-handed pitcher if they were actually going to take him. So. Joel, yeah, I, at the moment, do you have any predictions? Like, do you, do you are you leaning any given way about the draft? I still think that they're going to go college bat. I I know that it's not been their tendency the last few years, but if there's going to be somebody is going to fall to them, or they have the option of maybe taking a you know a college bat and under slot there and go and make a swing in at that pick thirty five and pick forty. I think is what it is forty three. Yeah, they have three. You have three picks in the top fifty. So I I can see them maybe going under slot at nine and then going and taking a couple big swings later. I don't know if that's going to be them or they decide if they decide to take a swing on Barry Young cross or, you know, Termar Johnson or whoever, somebody, if somebody falls due to to slot games that happen one through eight, that would be awesome. Or maybe you go and get like a Drew Gilbert or a chase the water, something like that. And under slot at nine, I think there there is a lot of ways the Royals could go, but I think it's ultimately going to come back to them taking a college bat. We will have our Royals Farm Report draft guide out right after the holiday weekend next week. So keep your eye out for that. It, I'm not exactly sure what day that'll be out, but we have a ton of write-ups that are already done. We are going to get our official ranking done, our top 100. We are going to have a a little blurb in there about what the Royals rankings could look like after the draft. There will be a mock draft included in their draft guide looking to sell it for around $3.99. 
I don't know what platform we'll be selling that on yet, but about $3.99 to support the work of everybody that's involved in the draft guide. Again, it'll be out at least, at a, at a minimum, it'll be out a week, the Sunday, the 10th, before the MLB draft begins. We're going to have it out as early as possible, as early as the 5th. Uh, so anytime between the 5th and the 10th, keep your eye out for that. We will promote the hell out of it, obviously. But until then, thanks to KCSN. Thanks to Drum Farm, who we did not get to a minor league minute this week. But thanks to Drum Farm for picking up the minor league minute this year. Tickets for less. Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Big thanks to all of our supporters. Josh, Joel, and I will be back again at some point next week. We'll have to work around the holiday, but we'll be back again next week. We will have a more of a fun episode for you. A little bit of draft talk, a little bit of minor league baseball, a little bit of big league baseball. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all again real soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.